Hi, and welcome to the Encouraging Word Podcast. Um, really getting used to saying this new name. Um, I like it a lot better than just saying a bunch of letters. <laughs> so just R-R-U-M-C. Um, yeah, but I still love R-R-U-M-C. It's my favorite church. Just, <laughs> <laughs> just to make sure no one gets the impression that I don't like saying our church's name anymore. Anyways, um, yeah, I love the our Encouraging Word title. Um, for our podcast and i want to welcome everyone back again um thank you everyone for who's listened to these podcasts and they've been going on for over a year now so it's just um and i've been enjoying it i think paul's paul you've been enjoying it right uh, most aspects yeah. of it yeah <laughs> right. spending so much time with you steven is oh yeah has its that's ups and downs it downsides no. mainly <laughs> downsides yeah no, um it's been a lot of <laughs> all good right so thank you everyone again for joining in and this is going to be our last week of the belief series so um, hopefully this series has been really helpful for you and learning the very bare minimums of these very complex um, intricate belief systems and hopefully it has um, put you on the path to learn more about them Um, again the kind of the reading rainbow mindset of it's in a book take a look you have that ability to go find more out for yourself um, and hopefully you've taken up that challenge to do that because I, I find it very helpful to um, learning what other people believe because um, when the more we learn about others the better we can relate and speak to them and the better also that we can also share Christ with them when we when people know that we care then they're willing to listen to us so yeah um, and we're going to jump right into our new segment that we've been doing now for a couple of weeks called Fit, Funny, Interesting, and Thought-Provoking. So we'll begin with Paul's fitness. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, this isn't my fit, but you say that my uh, my son wore a shirt to school today, um, and it uh, it says, I'm into fitness. And then below it has a picture of a taco, and then oh, it yeah. says... Fitting this taco in my mouth. Wow, that, <laughs> so, that is a good one. Yeah. Perfect see, for a teenage boy. I thought so, too, yeah. Or grown adults. Would you wear that? I would wear that <laughs> any day of the week. Anything to... Any day of the week on a Sunday service. I would ready. wear that to... Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, that may be Maybe uh, not less Sunday. popular. Right. But uh, for, for my fit this week, I thought, um, you know, I, I, I know where Steven's going with his, so I thought I, I should balance it out a little bit by keeping it a little more tame. So I thought we'd stick with the, uh, a bird theme for oh, wow. um, my fit this week. Birds. Uh, so, some interesting uh, things to note about birds. One um, is that uh, I've, they fly. I've, they fly. Yeah. Yes, most have uh, wings. Right. Uh, feathers are commonality. Yeah, <laughs> supposed to be interesting. Still, oh, yeah, we're, we're moving on. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of Orioles around this this year. Uh, we've been out doing a lot of walking and double stuffed. Uh, d- <laughs> wow, <laughs> you're. you're Steven's really in a mood today. He's he's on top of his <laughs> his humor game. Yeah, there's a lot of Oreos around uh, today. Um, must be that you didn't have your your pre podcast candy through you no, off a little bit. Yeah, no, I have it. So uh, by Orioles, I, I mean the 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 brown and orange <laughs> or black and orange bird that uh, I really don't know anything about other than I've always assumed they frequented the New England area because the uh, Baltimore Orioles are, are oh, named yeah. after That's Orioles. Right. But uh, I've seen a lot of them this year, so just an, an encouraging word to get out there oh. and, and to check out the Orioles. And, and two is um, there's a, a place that I like to hike. It's uh, called Sandy Ridge, um, and it is in North Ridgeville, Ohio, and uh, there's a, a unique bird that I've never seen anywhere else. It's called a sandhill crane, a sandhill mm. crane, and you can see um, there's a, a, a pair of them uh, out at uh, mm. Sandy Ridge, and they they move all over the place. They're usually you know poking their uh, beaks into the the water. What or the, color the mud. are they? They're uh, brownish. They're kind of uh, tannish, sandy colored. Okay, and uh, it's the largest. Um, Goodness, maybe the largest one. Well, not quite, but largest wild bird that uh, I I've seen in Ohio for sure. They can uh, be up to five feet tall, and these things oh, wow. just uh, wander around, do their thing. But uh, is it 
Well, I saw a crane in the park the other day. I have a picture up for those who aren't. Is it this? Is that? No, I think that's I a that's a blue heron. Steve. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Sense the blue color, <laughs> the blue tone, <laughs> and those. I don't obviously. I don't know my birds. So. Yeah, I got got a little work to do, but um, good effort though. I mean, right, I appreciate nice. you really investing in in this conversation. Yeah. Uh, but the sandhill cranes are out there uh, doing their thing. And the other thing in, on the bird theme I was going to mention is uh, we're going to attempt to draw hummingbirds to our house this summer. Yeah. Uh, we, my, nice. my daughter got a hummingbird feeder and, and some food, nectar, I guess, and, and a, and a, nice. I don't know how you, where you get nectar and how you put it in a jar. But um, we have some nectar, and we're going to try and draw some hummingbirds. And I think if you don't, have a feeder you just don't get to see them that's been my experience my my wife even told me that uh she she's never seen a hummingbird in the wild and and uh, oh, i think wow. that just reinforces that thought huh. you gotta draw them in if you want to see yeah. them so we're gonna we're gonna see what we can do yeah so that's my my bird themed fit uh nice. Nice. This week. So, nice. what do you got for us, Steve? It better <laughs> better be good, and something that I can, you know, poke fun at before we can start to <clears throat> start to balance oh things out. Yeah. So, mine is um, I tend to um, I don't watch a ton of YouTube, but when I do watch YouTube, it's typically like science stuff, some sports stuff, some car stuff, like racing stuff, whatever. But I like, and also a lot of science stuff. I like learning about science and technology, tech stuff. Um, but one of the things also I liked is, is kind of like behind the scenes for movies. And it's just always really, really fascinating um, to see behind the scenes of how our movie is filmed, how it's um, all these amazing, intricate details and all the work that goes into a film, which always, I think, when a film is like really bad, I, I, I feel really bad for the actors and everyone who invested all their time into a movie. And then you get on Rotten Tomatoes, and it's a <laughs> it's considered <laughs> rotten. So uh, I feel, feel kind of bad for that. But anyways, it's just incredible. Um, the one I, video I watched was how actors. Um, well, I guess the one is how actors move faster than like natural speed. I guess the natural human speed. So um, there's two techniques I thought were pretty cool. One is that. Um, you can have actors running full speed and then the main actor is kind of hooked up to this harness that's kind of has the person li lifted a little bit off the ground so that when they run full speed they're going nearly as twice as fast as everyone else who's running full speed natural full speed so um, I think it's pretty incredible how like when you're watching those superhero films and you see like the superhero just takes off from like zero to 30 miles an hour but they're actually hooked up to this harness and all these again all these things that are working together to create this um, movie and another thing that they do for speed and actors running or actresses um, is that they have a car that has a tarp that's put down and the car will drive with the tarp and the actor will run on the tarp while the car is going which sounds really dangerous to me and <laughs> not not something you should do at home um, and usually a lot of times it's stunt doubles doing these things and so I thought those are two interesting things about how they create speed in the movie especially for like the superhero stuff and um, and I could go on for a while for all these different other techniques they use for for showing strength and for showing being hit and um, car chases and all that stuff. So pretty cool. Yeah, these uh, uh, stunt doubles and, and stunt men and women. Um, right. So so fascinating the things they do and the risks they take. Oh, and at yeah. the end of the day, you know, you, risk. you watch the movie and nobody even knows their name. No, <laughs> they get no recognition for it. You know, they do all these stunts for, uh, for you know, Dwayne Johnson or one of these uh, big name actors and. And they get no credit for it. Everybody just thinks that The Rock is, um, well, which he is, but uh, <laughs> able to do some, some right. amazing things. But, yeah, it's all because of the work of these right. uh, stunt folks behind the scenes. Right. Fascinating. Right. Yeah, movies are kind of like a, a tricking. It's, it's almost all of an illusion. It's all a tricking of the mind to believe this, this alternate reality in a way. Um, yeah, we could get really deep. In the weeds. Yeah, I feel like we already have. Like, right. I'm already, you know, <laughs> life is a, a, an illusion, Stephen. Right. Like right. I'm, I'm taking oh this 
<laughs> we should probably get back grounded again. Right. Yeah. We should jump into what we're supposed to be doing here. Um, yeah, so we're going to be talking about um, here in this last podcast about beliefs, we're going to be talking about really the uniqueness of Jesus and looking at how Jesus is still unique compared to all these other religions that we have looked at throughout um, the past couple weeks and how really, I, I think in our society, we tend to have this natural wanting to, well, I'm one, we, we, want, we all want to kind of come together and not be able to offend anyone and, and just kind of... Um, which, which is fine. I, I see the reason why we want to have this sense, sense of just um, even playing field. But when you start to look at the details and you really start to dig in, and you don't really have to dig in that much, you start to see how different these belief systems are. And more importantly, you start to see just how um, just so unique Jesus is compared to mm. any other religious founder and compared to any human being in general like jesus just stands out like a sore thumb he's just so incredibly different than anything else that we've ever seen um, in humanity i would say um so and you don't have to dig very far as a matter of fact you just look at one of the statements of jesus saying that he's god and you already have jesus being different than anyone else um, who's ever lived so we're gonna look at three aspects about Jesus that kind of make him stand out and what's different. Um, and my first one is um, Jesus and miracles. How Jesus and miracles is so unique and different. Um, so to talk briefly to you about miracles, miracles are not God disrupting what is natural, but it but it's fixing what is unnatural in our world. So I want to read this quote about from Timothy Keller, I think that really captures this view of miracles. He says, we modern people think of miracles as a suspension of the natural order, but Jesus meant them to be the restoration of the natural order. The Bible tells us that God did not originally make the world to, be, uh, to have disease, hunger, and death in it. Jesus has come to redeem where it is wrong and to heal the world where it is broken. His miracles are not just proofs that he has power, but also a wonderful foretaste of what is going to do, what he is going to do with that power. Jesus' miracles are not just a challenge to our minds, but a promise to our hearts that the world we all want is coming. Um, I love that quote. I love seeing miracles as not something that's unnatural, but something that is fixing the natural order that is broken. Um, it's such a beautiful picture. Um, the nature of miracles is that they were and always are meant to be signs that point to our larger truth about Jesus, about who Jesus is and the truth about our world that we live in. Um, another article that I read says, while those who received the healing were relieved by their physical ailments, the stated purpose of miracles is rarely ever the simple, um, um, simple relief of physical suffering. The, the miracle of healing always points to a greater truth, name, namely that Jesus is the Son of God with authority. When he casts out demons, his authority over them is emphasized. When he heals on the Sabbath, his authority as the Lord of the Sabbath is emphasized. Likewise, many of the miracles emphasize Jesus' authority over nature. Also, it's important to, fi- important to point out about miracles. Jesus never performed uh, a miracle as if he was putting on a show. Like, have you ever thought about that? Jesus never performed a miracle as if he was putting on a show. The miracles were never for the sake of showing off or without a specific purpose or reason. So Jesus <laughs> Jesus never said, hey, guys, watch this. You know, Jesus never uh, says, hey, watch me do this cool thing. Watch me do this loop-de-loop. Watch it. He never uses his power, um, his incredible power, to do anything that's to show off. As a matter of fact, Jesus confronts people who see his ability to do miracles as a way to advance themselves. So in John 6, 26, Jesus said to the people after he multiplied the bread, um, Jesus says to him later, he says, Very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate your loaves and had your fill. So he's saying the people are following him not because he not because they believe in who Jesus is, but they're following him because he can do miracles and they, that he can um, do miracles for them. And he's like, no, that's not, and he's saying that's not the point. Um, at another point, Jesus rebukes his disciples for wanting to call down fire from heaven on people. Um, also in Luke chapter 23, verse 8, Jesus is described 
as not doing any miraculous signs in the presence of King Herod. So Luke 23 verse 8 says, When Herod saw Jesus, he was greatly pleased, because for a long time he had been wanting to see him. For what he had heard about him, he hoped that hoped to see him perform a sign of some sort. He piled on him with many questions, but Jesus gave no answers. So Herod, when Jesus is about to be crucified, and Pilate sends Jesus over to Herod, Herod is excited because, oh, wow, I have someone in my court now who can maybe perform some signs and do some cool tricks. And Jesus has no reply to this. Um, Jesus was fully aware of the power he possessed and used it only on the occasion to fulfill God's word and to be a sign for others to know who he was. Jesus said, just, be, just before Jesus was arrested, he said this, For all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my Father, and he will at once put at my disposal more than twelve legions of angels? But how would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen in this way? You see, the real power of Jesus is his ability to be able to hold back his authority and hold back his power so that he can submit to his captors. That's the real power that Jesus is showing here. Uh, it would be much more easy to call down the 12 legions of angels, which he had the authority to do. But he shows his real power and his, to submit to these captors, his unjust captors, right? Um, the miracles of Jesus um, show this, how unique he is among all these religious founders. Um, how Jesus uses his miracles and not in a way to show off, but purely as a sign pointing towards um, the future that is ahead and also a sign that points to the brokenness of our world. So, yeah, I think those are something that's very unique about Jesus compared to other religious um, leaders and founders and other people who claim, quote unquote, to have done miracles. So, so clearly, Jesus's miracles in and of themselves are, are unique. Right. Um, you don't see right. Right. other religious uh, leaders or, or other um, divine uh, presences in other religions doing miracles. There, there are um, few accounts and, and even fewer uh, that can be verified. verified. Right. But uh, not just the fact that Jesus did miracles, but the things that they demonstrate about his character and right, about his right, purpose, right. his mission, right. uh, makes them even more unique. Because, uh, right. you know, as we were talking, I was thinking none of, you know, not only he didn't use his miracles to show off, but he he never performed a miracle to his own benefit. He right, never used a miracle right. to benefit himself, even though he was right. living as a, a human, he had shed um, many of his divine comforts and qualities right. uh, and just uh, allowed them to uh, be set aside for the time. And so he had to deal with, with discomfort, fear, uh, pain, right. uh, frustration, all of those things. He never used a miracle to better uh, himself or her, his, his circumstances. And he never yeah. used a miracle uh, to somebody else's detriment. He, you know, like how right. tempting it would be walking around <laughs> with these, uh, you know, these Pharisees. Right. acting like goons and you know and uh, all these annoying people right. that just want to be healed they don't want to hear anything you have to say and right. how easy it would be to, to use your miracles yep. to uh, put people in their place so to speak right. Um, right. but that's you know everything about his miracles uh, points not just to his power but to so much more his character right. and uh, his purpose here on yeah. earth it's really a great point and also too I want to point out too that it isn't <coughs> When you read in scripture, you can see, for instance, when um, Moses is trying to free the people from Israel, there are times where the magicians, um, the the sorcerers who work for Pharaoh, they're able to do miraculous signs as well, right? So as what Paul is saying, it's not just the sign itself, it's not just the miracle itself, it's what it points to. And it's what also the character and the nature of Jesus seen in his miracles is really important. Because, to be honest, Scripture doesn't say miracles can only happen through God. There's, there's also instances, like I said, in Pharaoh who was able, they were able to mimic some of the things that Moses was able to do. Mm-hmm. And also, too, when we look at Revelations, you can look at the, there's a false prophet and the Antichrist are also able to do miraculous signs as well. But that's why it's very important to know what does this sign mean what is it pointing to and then the character and the nature of the person doing the miraculous sign is important so um yeah the miracle within themselves is not complete because there are 
there's statements of Muhammad doing miracles or Joseph Smith doing miracles and stuff, but the miracles of Christ, the purpose, the nature, and the character behind it is completely unique um, to Jesus. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And I think that's uh, brought to light um, through the story of Jesus's temptation in the wilderness. It's it's right. almost like uh, yeah, yeah. we established from the beginning of his ministry that these are the types of miracles, um, right. the ways he could wield his divine power right. that would be beneficial to himself right. um, and, and would uh, demonstrate his power. And yeah. uh, the Satan is tempting him to wield his power in, in an unhealthy way or a way that uh, denies his yeah. own character, his convictions, yeah. and yeah. his purpose here on earth. And uh, from the beginning of his ministry, he's put to the test. And uh, you know, I'd like to say gets <laughs> all that out of his system, if, yeah. if it ever was, you know, that, uh, had to work through that. Um, but, uh, you know, I think he was in complete control yeah. the whole time that Satan was tempting him. And uh, and and putting before him opportunities to misuse his mm-hmm. miracles, and not only then does he reject that, but then throughout his ministry he goes on to demonstrate what uh, the intention of his miracles right. is really all about. Very good, very good point. Uh, so the the next concept we're going to turn to that's uh, unique uh, to Christ, or I'll, I'll fill you in on some details in, in how it's not. Um, entirely unique in and of itself, but um, it, the, when we get down to the specifics, you'll see how unique it still is for, for Jesus. Is uh, the notion of incarnation? Incarnation. So we hear this term a lot around uh, the Advent season, around Christmas. Incarnation is, is simply a person who embodies in the flesh a, a deity, a spirit, or, or some kind of abstract quality. Um, when we start looking at world religions, we don't want to confuse incarnation with reincarnation, uh, which um, most will be familiar with after our, our study of uh, Hinduism and, and Buddhism, this notion that uh, we have opportunity as people to live uh, another life after our life here concludes. We come back and begin anew as a, uh, a different person, maybe even a, a different uh, creature. And uh, ultimately, as we've learned throughout our study, that that's not necessarily a positive thing. There are, there are better um, forms to be reincarnated into in, in this belief system. But uh, the goal ultimately is not to be reincarnated at all, but to complete the, the mission of becoming one with the universe. Uh, this is not incarnation. This is reincarnation. Incarnation is this notion that uh, God comes uh, to us, to his creation and, and amongst his creation in uh, human form. And uh, that's exactly what Jesus does on uh, Christmas Eve night and uh, comes to earth and sheds his uh, his. Uh, his heavenly comforts and such uh, to become a, a human being and walk amongst us. So I, I said uh, when, when I introed this that it's not entirely unique of Christianity and of Christ, uh, this notion of incarnation, and that's because uh, Vaishnava Hinduism includes a, a, sim- a similar concept. Um, in Hinduism, um, there's this notion that the god Vishnu descended to earth ten times uh, in order to restore the balance between good and evil. Uh, different texts, uh, Hindu texts over uh, the centuries actually indicate different numbers for how many times, but they've ultimately settled on ten to be the accepted number. And uh, they believe that the god Vishnu has been incarnated in this world nine times. The tenth is, is yet to come, and they're awaiting uh, the tenth incarnation, and of those ten, uh, a number of them, uh, Vishnu came as a different animal, and others as a, a different human being. Uh, there was a, a man, lion, a dwarf uh, in the mix there as well. So these nine incarnations, with one yet to come, and each one is is accompanied by a historical account uh, as they. Um, as they engage their religious beliefs and, and uh, the history of their faith, a historical account of how each incarnation came and, and served some sort of purpose in uh, accomplishing a historic or a, a heroic act to vanquish evil and to continue to wage this battle between good and evil. Most of these accounts are very fantastical. They're uh, things that uh, we would find hard to believe, but within the religious uh, sphere, you know, there's this uh, notion of the supernatural, and, and of course, all of these things are are on the table um, when we uh, approach them in that way. 
but uh, ultimately the last incarnation that they're awaiting is uh, coming they believe to destroy a corrupted earth and in doing so all the wicked uh, forces and, and beings that remain here and prepare the way for the renewal of creation and the uh, resurgence of, of virtue at that time and so when we read that we can hear that there are some overlaps with christianity some parallels as to um, this notion of incarnation this thought that jesus not only was incarnated here on earth but is coming back um, to uh, bring an end to our earthly uh, realm, or at least as we know it now. Um, so there are some overlaps and parallels, but let me share some things that are unique to Christ's incarnation. Now, first of all, when Jesus came to earth, he came as a, a blend, a perfect blend of, of both divine and uh, human nature. He was the, the union of the two, whereas the God Vishnu, when incarnated on earth, has always come essentially as the God Vishnu cloaked with uh, human or animal uh, garment almost. It, the, it, the God uh, Vishnu maintains all of its normal qualities, but it comes almost in, in disguise. Uh, it doesn't actually become the form that it takes, whereas Jesus 100% uh, becomes a, a physical human being. And he comes in a, a physical form because he comes not just to redeem us spiritually, but also to redeem the, the physical world. And uh, this is unique amongst uh, Christians as well, that this uh, world is is intended to be redeemed. God created it to be perfect and, and beautiful, and though it's very corrupt, um, God intends to redeem us uh, in, in our world physically and spiritually. Um, and uh, of course, with Jesus, this meant a, a physical resurrection as well. And this would have been um, absurd to attach this notion that uh, one of these uh, incarnations of Vishnu would be physically resurrected. There would have been no need for it because uh, they never would have died in, in the first place. Uh, Jesus is unique in that sense in that he died a, a physical death and uh, very much in contrast with the Hindu notion of incarnation. And his death involved very real and uh, intense suffering, the, the purpose being uh, to demonstrate the seriousness of our sin and uh, at the same time the incredible love of God that uh, he would have come and, and taken on that uh, sin in our place upon the cross. So uh, another thing that's unique in uh, Jesus's incarnation, different uh, in the Hindu notion of it, is that the Hindu incarnations of, of Vishnu uh, came not just to save the world of humanity, uh, but also and actually primarily to save the world of the gods. Uh, the, the notion being that they, uh, the, the Hindu gods hold their positions in a very fragile manner and ultimately they uh, come across as being more concerned with themselves and their position than with humankind at all. And, uh, you know, I was challenged uh, in this website I was reading this up on a, uh, to step back and think, what, it, what would it have been like if Jesus came to earth not to save humanity, but to save himself? Because this is the, the Hindu notion um, that's played out in many of Vishnu's incarnations. And it just sounds absurd, sounds so contradictory to who Jesus is and, and what his purpose was in coming here. Uh, Jesus didn't come to rescue himself or to do anything to, to better his standing. He came uh, out of love for us. And at the end of the day, the Vishnu incarnations came to do battle with evil and ultimately destroy it. Whereas Jesus's incarnation, uh, of course, he goes toe to toe with evil. But if you step back and think about it, um, evil is, is ultimately uh, irrelevant in some ways. Uh, Jesus's battle is, is not with evil. Jesus comes. Uh, he could he could destroy all evil in the entire world with the flick of a wrist. We just talked about his miracles. It could all be obliterated in a second if he so choose, uh, chose. But evil is allowed to, to maintain uh, its position in the world because uh, the importance of us as humans being allowed to have free will to, to choose one way or the other. And Jesus' purpose in coming is not to destroy evil, uh, so to speak, but more to uh, bring love and a manifestation of love and, and God's character to earth uh, so that human beings would then choose uh, God's love over um, worldly paths and, and other worldly alternatives. So lots of uh, interesting points about incarnation and, and how 
uh, God in Jesus form, his incarnation, so much different than uh, Hindu notions of the same and other religions really have no uh, sense of incarnation whatsoever. And I think really what it comes down to is that um, as created beings in, in the Christian uh, belief system, we were created uh, out of the love of God. This is, this is our purpose for being. And, and so uh, ultimately this leads to a very different relationship and interactions between God and, and his creation because of our, our purpose for being here. We are here to be loved by God. And that leads to things like an incarnation. It leads to uh, Jesus's very pointed miracles with a unique purpose. It leads to these other qualities we're going to address in just a minute here. Uh, but everything about who Jesus was and what makes him so unique is evolving out of this notion that he's here um, and God created us to show us God's love uh, and we exist for the, the purpose of receiving that and, and reciprocating that. And I think uh, bottom line is that's what makes Jesus so unique amongst other uh, notions of, of divinity and other faith systems or other religious leaders. And uh, incarnation is a beautiful way to uh, demonstrate that, why Jesus came and, and exactly how he did so. And you got one more for us, Stephen, and then we're yeah. going to round the corner and, and bring right. it home. Yeah, so I have one more that um, might be a pretty obvious one of what makes you so unique, and, and that's the resurrection. Um, the resurrection is something that is very unique to Jesus, very unique to the Christian faith. Um, so when looking at Jesus in comparison to other religious figures um, that we have spoken about or um, spoken on, the resurrection is one of the main differing points as compared to any other religious figure. Jesus mentions his death and resurrection several times before the actual act. Jesus knew well ahead of time that he would rise from the dead. This is a very bold claim to make, to say the least, right? And to make it up. Um, and he, not only that, but he backed it up um, in accomplishing what he had said. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, um, um, 13, uh, verses 13 through 19 says that if Christ had not risen from the dead, then our faith is empty and we are still in our sins. The truth claims of Christianity are based solely, simply and solely upon the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If Jesus did not in fact come back from the dead in time and space, then there is no truth to Christianity whatsoever. Throughout the New Testament, the apostles and evangelists base the truth of the gospel upon the resurrection. Um, also, when, when, to be honest, the whole basis of the New Testament being written is because of the resurrection that this man, Jesus Christ, um, Jesus of Nazareth, claimed to be the Messiah. And if he claimed to be Messiah, and if he, and if he truly had died, there had been no reason to write the New Testament. Because there are many messiahs, quote-unquote messiahs, who came before Jesus and came after him. As a matter of fact, when you look at Acts, I can't remember what chapter it is, but many of the people, the, the Pharisees or the, in the Sanhedrin, they had dealt with, quote-unquote, messiahs before. And these messiahs would die or something would happen and all their followers would scatter. So the, the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders, were expecting this with Jesus. They're like, oh, Jesus follows that they'll eventually scatter and they'll be gone. But it never happened. <laughs> it never happened because Jesus never, he died for three days, rose again. And that is the basis for the New Testament. That's what powers the New Testament. That's what gives these, these, uh, these writers in the New Testament um, to write out. Um, their experiences because this is real. Jesus is alive and everything he said and did matters. So simply to have a simply having a robust theology and teachings of the resurrection is unlike any other religious view of on life and death. The radical nature of the resurrection was even hard for early Romans to get their heads around. Um, so in Acts chapter 17 verse 32, when Paul brings up the resurrection, it says, When they heard the, about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, We want to hear more again on this subject. So Paul, when he was in Athens, he was explaining the Christian faith, explaining about the unknown God, and, and, and illustrating all these things about God, and then he came to the resurrection, and it was at the resurrection where people were like, Whoa, this is this this is 
incredible or this is false this is and it's the same holds that same truth holds today that when you bring up the resurrection that is the linchpin point of the christian faith that this man jesus christ whether he he's either alive and if he's alive then we we have something that we need to address like how is he alive and or if he's dead then we don't have to worry about it but the claim of the scriptures and what I believe and know to be true is that Jesus is truly alive. It is important to point out a few things too. First, Jesus was physically resurrected, not resurrected as a spirit of some kind, but he was physically present among his disciples after he rose from the dead. So this Jesus is not a ghost. He's not some, some emotional, spiritual euphoria that came about in the disciples' mind. Jesus was physically alive and physically present. Um, you listen, the disciples would not just the disciples were just as as skeptical as we would be. Right? Sometimes I think we the disciples are oh they're just so gullible. No, the disciples were <laughs> fearing for their life. They had every reason to doubt Jesus. They're fearing for their lives. Their leader had just died. They didn't know what to do. They're out of their jobs. They were followed this guy for three years and now he's gone. Like they had every reason to be skeptical, but yet they came out to believe. Um, second, the resurrection of Jesus is a signal. So first, it's a physical resurrection. Second, the resurrection of Jesus is a sign pointing to a much greater resurrection of not, of not just believers, but kind of a resurrection of creation and a new heavens and new earth, right? So Jesus isn't just the promise of resurrection for new believers, but he's the promise of a new life, a new resurrection of all creation, right? So this is a um, mammoth thing that's about to happen. Um, you can see the resurrection is unlike anything in human history. Um, and it's an event in, in which all of human history is changed forever. Um, this event is perhaps only second. I would almost argue that this, the resurrection, um, this event is only second to perhaps the creation of all things by God himself, right? Um, the resurrection in a way is a new creation. It's almost like this, this event is only second to creation itself. Um, his resurrection in a sense was a new creation being um, rewritten and renewed, um, renewed of Genesis. Again, this magnitude is huge. So, um, the resurrection is one of the main um, things among all the religions and all the religious founders and everything that you read, all the New Age stuff, atheist stuff, whatever you want to say, the resurrection holds huge influence and power. And since it is true, I believe it to be true, um, we have um, definitely something here that we need to address. And what that means is, that, do you believe Jesus is the Son of God or not? Um, since he is resurrected and alive so yeah that's a very very big one yeah and, and the little bit of research i did on it there was <clears throat> there was several other individuals throughout history primarily um in the hindu and and uh, muslim tradition um i think at least half of them were were Hindu mystics uh, that there were rumors or, or uh, claims made that uh, these individuals had been resurrected, but there is uh, virtually no historical evidence to support that. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was, I was frankly, I was surprised to find out that there weren't more. Um, right. I did, <laughs> did some searching and and I kept uh, clicking from link to link to link trying to find stories. Of, you know, certainly there have to be other people who claim to defy death and, and come back mm -hmm. from their demise and and uh and and those people would be at the focal point of some of these other religious beliefs um because if i'm going to uh you know commit my life to a, a religious system and a, a belief system then i want to know that it has power that it has uh, significance right and, and one of the great ways of demonstrating that is that it it uh, defies the the laws of nature and, and can defy and, and overcome and claim victory over death and as a, a christian my entire life i've kind of taken for granted that my god uh has done so and that it is uh, historically verified in, in multiple different ways there's an incredible amount of evidence that this took place and you know I, I half expected to look at other religions and find that other claims had been made um or you know other religious leaders or uh had had done so and had claimed to have done so 
and there really isn't much out there. And I think mm. uh, the fact that Christians uh, still make this claim and uh, still rally around it, and uh, there's been very little, if any, um, solid attempts made by uh, those outside of Christianity to refute it, to, to my to my understanding, um, shows that uh, we have something incredibly unique that the rest of the world and the rest of world religions uh, cannot hang their head on. And right. I think in this world, especially nowadays, when everything is so evidence based, you know, you get the scientific process to, to determine the truth of of all of these different notions and. Um, you know, I think that there aren't very many resurrection claims out there uh, historically or even currently because uh, nobody else has the evidence to back it up, uh, but Christians do. And uh, it, it just makes me all the more confident that uh, we, we worship the one true God. And um, so blessed to have that uh, historical account of the resurrection to uh, to support um, everything that we believe and, and all that we do. And once again, it uh, just goes back to reinforce this notion that uh, Jesus uh, doesn't isn't unique in all of these ways if, if it were not for this unique quality um, that all of this is founded on, that he is, he is love. He's resurrected um, to demonstrate his power, yes, but also to, uh, to bring back that gift of victory over death to his followers and uh, to rescue humanity from the, the ultimate demise of, of death and, and eternal suffering. And, and uh, so this is right at the root of uh, why Jesus was resurrected and, and uh, how significant it is for us. And for our, our final um, notion of, of how Jesus is unique, I want to I want to read you just a brief story, if I could, because I think this um, this uh, expresses it much better than I could, much more eloquently than I could. And and the story uh, comes to us from a, a book called "What's So Amazing About Grace," uh, written by the author Philip Yancey. And uh, this story is uh, pertains to um, a conference that was held in, in Britain a number of years ago in which C.S. Lewis, uh, the great theologian and author, was uh, an attendee. And I will just uh, simply read this story for you. But our, our fourth uh, quality about Jesus that makes him so unique is, is this gift of, of grace that he extends to us. So it reads like this. During a British conference on comparative religions, experts from around the world debated what, if any, belief was unique to the Christian faith. They began eliminating possibilities. Incarnation, we covered this one. Other religions had different versions of gods appearing in human form. Resurrection, again, other religions had accounts of return from death. We, we covered that as well. There are some, uh, some uh, a few uh, non-authenticated versions of that. Uh, but anyhow, the debate went on for some time until C.S. Lewis wandered into the room. What's the rumpus about, he asked and heard in reply that his colleagues were discussing Christianity's unique contribution among world religions. Lewis responded, Oh, that's easy. It's grace. After some discussion, the, conf uh, the conferees had to agree. The notion of God's love coming to us free of charge, no strings attached, seems to go against every instinct of humanity. The Buddhist Eightfold Path, the Hindu Doctrine of Karma, the Jewish Covenant, the Muslim Code of Law, each of these offers a way to earn approval. Only Christianity dares to make God's love unconditional. Aware of our inbuilt resistance to grace, Jesus talked about it often. He described a world suffused with God's grace, where the sun shines on people good and bad, where birds gather seeds gratis, neither plowing nor harvesting to earn them, where untended wildflowers burst into bloom on the rocky hillsides. Like a visitor from a foreign country who notices what the natives overlook, Jesus saw grace everywhere. Yet he never analyzed or defined grace and almost never used the word. Instead, he communicated grace through stories we know as parables. So, grace. At the end of the day, uh, many unique qualities of, of Jesus, um, but maybe the one that stands out the most is this gift of grace uh, that God created us not um, to not to show off, not to 
uh, entertain himself, and this is something I came across as well, digging into the question how it all began in these other religions. Why did God create? And then their notion of God, whatever their creation story is, not just the how, but the why. Why were human beings created? And, and what I came across, and uh, it was difficult to track down these answers, uh, but most of them just said, well, a, a creator uh, created the world because that's what creators do. It's, it's natural for uh, creators to, to do so, or maybe it was uh, selfishly motivated. The creator um, created uh, those who would serve and, and worship them, and it was all about uh, just uh, patting their own ego or just to entertain themselves. But uh, in Christianity, we are created simply because God is love, and uh, in that outpouring and, and overflow of love, um, objects to receive that love were needed, and, and thus uh, God created us. And uh, his grace reigns supreme and is unique amongst all uh, religions, this notion that uh, we cannot and, and need not earn God's favor. It's not about pleasing the gods, uh, as it is in so many other traditions. It's simply about receiving God's free gift of grace. And uh, that's a wrap. So um, any final thoughts here? We, we've covered a number of different world religions Today we focus primarily on what, what sets Jesus apart, what's unique about Jesus. Any thoughts as uh, we close this out, Stephen, on uh, what do we do ultimately? What's the biggest takeaway when it comes to uh, living in a world with a, a diverse uh, set of religious beliefs, encountering folks uh, with varying beliefs each and every day? Um, how do we, at the end of the day, how do we uh, navigate all of this and, and do so as uh, ultimately people of grace? Yeah, that's a good question. So kind of in summary here, um, I'll say things that I've been saying throughout the podcast is that, uh, one, you s- first things that you see a lot of these religions are not just superficially different, but they're fundamentally different. Um, I realize as I study these different faiths and beliefs, um, you realize just how different and diverse they are. Um, that it's really hard to just say, oh, they're all the same. Uh, as you give even five minutes of study, you start to see that that's not true. They're all very different. Um, they're all leading to um, different um, different ideas of God, different ways to get there. It's just, it's just too different to say that they're all true. Um, that certainly can't be. What I've also learned, too, though, is that it, this has really helped me to gather understanding. Like I, I'm a big news junkie. I love the news. I listen to a lot of podcasts. And to have this understanding of the belief systems of the world of the world around us and in my own neighborhood. Um, and ma- matter of fact, we went to the park. Um, there was a Muslim family there at the park, So, um, which I love that. I love the diversity. I absolutely love it. I love seeing different religions working together and interacting. Um, but um, knowing these other faiths gives me that understanding. And also, too, the third thing is that we mustn't be afraid to hold to what we believe is true. You know what? All these faiths believe that they're true. The reason that the people hold religious beliefs is that they believe they're true. No one wants to believe a lie, you know. Um, no one wants to follow something that they don't believe is true. Now, you can sincerely hold to a lie and believe it to be true, you know, but all of us are holding to some truth, so we can't believe the notion that um, that uh, that you can't claim truth. We can claim truth. Everyone's claiming truth. Um, it's not unique to Christianity at all. And I claim to the truth of Jesus Christ um, that He is the way to God, and that He died on the cross for our sins, and that um, it's open to everyone. So I believe that truth. And then finally, what I will say is that how you live matters, um, because one thing that you'll notice that how how can we as Christians, when we look at the words of Christ, and He says, "Love your neighbor as yourself," and He says, "Love your enemies," and He and all these notions of loving God and loving others and and service and help and the transformation of our minds and how we act and think. How can we read those things and yet not be changed? Um, people are not going to believe our message. They're not going to believe Christ. If, if we are not changed. Um, so how we live really, really matters, and it really matters if people are going to believe the statements that we cling to. Um, so um, loving people in the grocery store, loving your family, loving your, your children, your spouse, 
um, loving the stranger, giving, and all those things. And you do it not to show off, and you do it not for approval from God. You do it purely out of the overflow of love that you see through Jesus Christ um, on the cross. And that will be that shall be our testimony to the world, and how what we claim to be true truly is true because our lives are drastically changed. Um, so our behavior really matters. So yeah, those are kind of takeaways that I've gotten from from this series. It's been really good. So, well, I, yeah, I love all of what you just shared, Stephen. Um, uh, especially the the words about truth jump out at me. Uh, that, you know, in this world we live in, I think the truth is. Uh, you like what I did there? I think the <laughs> truth is um, yeah. that the world wants to make truth a subjective right. thing. Right. Um, and, of course, we, we acknowledge that everybody has different beliefs right. and different notions of what right. they believe to be true. Mm-hmm. Uh, but our, our faith, first and foremost, tells us uh, that that we can uh, profess a, a very specific truth right. and we can declare uh, that we believe that it is the one and only way and we can manage uh, as decent human beings to to do this to profess our our beliefs um, and do it in a a manner uh, that is still loving and respectful and and accepting of of other people around us and um, i think we have to we have to believe this and we have to be able to buck the trends of Mm -hmm. society that tell us that just uh, simply professing a truth at all is is somehow uh, belittling and, and judging other people. It's not my place to judge them, but it's it is my place to to speak the truth that God has given me and right. to do so in love and in and in doing so uh, give those uh, folks an opportunity to uh, embrace that truth and uh, embrace the the salvation that is available to them. I think it's not only okay, uh, but it's absolutely our responsibility to uh, speak that truth. And do so boldly, uh, and of course, right. with love. So I, I think that's very well said. And uh, as Stephen said, how we live uh, matters. And uh, so it's not just what you say. Very few times are you going to see people who have been won over, uh, so to speak, to uh, the faith by right. argument, right. Uh, by right. debate. It's it's right. uh, relationship. Right? Yep. Yep. Yeah. So I think uh, being uh, who God calls us to be, and uh, loving people as God calls us to love them is, is what matters most. That doesn't let you off the hook when it comes to witnessing right. to your faith and right. and uh, speaking the words, because uh, uh, that's something I think a lot of us want let off the hook uh, nowadays, and that's not the case. But um, who we are and, and how we live uh, matters just as much, if not more, uh, than what we say and how uh, we engage other people to, to uh, directly witness to them. So this has been a, a fun uh, series. I have learned a lot, and I hope uh, at least some of what Stephen and I have learned has communicated effectively over to you. And uh, we hope that you are uh, digging in maybe on your own and, and uh, going deeper into one or more of these uh, religious systems that are of particular interest to you, or maybe you know somebody that uh, adheres to one of these faith systems and and this piqued your interest to get to know more of what they're about. Uh, So we hope you've had some good takeaways, and uh, we'll uh, begin anew and uh, head a different direction here in the coming weeks, Uh, but it's been a fun series. A reminder, friends, as uh, the weather is warming up, our our parking lot service is a great place to be on 830 uh, on Sunday mornings. We've shared the last couple of weeks you can bring uh, lawn chairs you can uh bring popcorn you know what do you bring to a a, a (laughs) parking lot service oreos there's a lot of oreos out there nowadays you can bring oreos you know whatever it's a party out there it's a party out there so uh bring your lawn chairs we'll see it at 8 30 and uh 10 o'clock and 11 30 and 11.30 live stream, but those two services are, are in person. Lots of ex- uh, exciting stuff coming up in the life of the church. Um, we're we're uh, getting things rolling out at uh, West 99th in Madison this uh, Saturday, or uh, not too far down the road. Yes, yeah, Saturday and Sunday, 22nd and 23rd. Um, we'll be doing some volunteer stuff out there. All right, friends, uh, that is all there is to say about that. Have a, a wonderful week.